Good afternoon. This is your host, John, of the Research Review, still creating a platform to connect and inspire. I'm back here again today with one of the best guests that have appeared on this show and also recent um, three-minute thesis winner, Xavier. Hi, it's great to be back. Uh, that You give me way too much credit there. <laughs> and it's great to be back with videos as well. Hello there. I know you can't see it in the audio, but... It's good to be good to be back on video. Yeah. Now, so besides being the champion three-minute thesis winner, <laughs> that is definitely something to be proud of. Give give us an update on what you've been doing since the last time that you came on the show. Yeah. So um, obviously, before then, the biggest thing was the three-minute thesis, which for anyone who's wondering what the heck that is, um, basically uh, as part of the program that I was in. In the fall, everyone who was part of it were divided into groups based on major, mm -hmm. um, and we had to deliver a three-minute thesis uh, that basically explained what our research was all about. And there was a first and second place winner graded uh, by unbiased judges by professors here at Kent State who weren't part of the department that we right. were majoring in. Right. So I was put in, they took all the arts kids and put them in together. So it was the theater kids, the music kids, the fashion kids. And I had written my three-minute thesis. I had memorized the entire thing. I think we were allowed note cards, but mm. I was, me being the theater nerd I am, I was like, <laughs> I'll just memorize it. It's fine. So I delivered it, and I was talking, like we talked about in the last podcast mm -hmm. episode, a bit about, you know, the goals of the uh, work that Dr. Yuko Kurahashi and I were doing. Yeah. Uh, like, trying to make it just easier to teach and learn Shakespeare in the classrooms and with guides of, like, vocabulary, scene breakdown, famous stagings and adaptations, mm -hmm. discussion questions, and a bunch of other stuff. So I had delivered the three-minute thesis, and we were waiting for the results, and we had gone to, like, sit in this auditorium and wait to hear what happened. Right. And so they start announcing, like, some of the second-place winners, and then they start announcing the first place. And the first one is, I think, this aeronautics girl who wins it, and then mm -hmm. there's, like, another one. And then the third one they announce was me. And as soon as I heard that, I started clapping <laughs> so loud. Thank you so yeah. much. I, I, I didn't even know if I was going to, like, win it or not, and I was like, what? Um, but then they ended up asking some of the first place people to speak again. Uh, -huh. uh so, and I was one of the ones chosen. Right. So then, uh, I ended up essentially giving my three minute speech again in front of the entire program, which mm -hmm. went, I think really well. It went so good. You, do you have no idea? And I know I was mentioning to the, you, t this to you earlier, I, I don't know if you were in the zone, but, or if you scan the crowd or not, but when you were talking, I was scanning the crowd and I was like, man, these people are engaged. Thank like, you so on much. On the edge of their seats, listening to what you're saying, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and the big thing I think is, at least with everybody, is that it's just the passion that you bring and mm -hmm. showing what kind of good you're trying to do with your, the different projects that you've done. Right. And for me, I was intent on in knowing that like the Shakespeare work that I'm doing now is for good, is that it will help people. Yeah. And that, that was the hope that I was trying to convey. Mm -hmm. um, but after the three-minute thesis, Dr. K and I, we ended up, we're like, okay, so what's next? Um, so the big thing about this program as well, the SURE program, is that we have to apply sort of again in the spring for a, an additional symposium. Mm -hmm. uh, which yeah, is spring symposium, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's like a, essentially a longer, like, 10-minute version, essentially, of, yeah. like, expanding on your research, where you are now, like, a semester later, if there's anything you've wanted to, like, hone in on, on your research. 
And so what we're doing as of now regarding that, apart from continuing to expand on what we already have, yeah. we wanted to take a little time to examine how Shakespeare has been used uh, for underrepresented voices and groups. Okay, awesome. Um, so I think I've mentioned a little bit on the last episode how cultures all around the world have used Shakespeare. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because mm-hmm. I, I kind of thought it was more of a used by Western cultures more, mm-hmm. you know? And then I know you said that was something like you were surprised about. Oh, yeah. Like, I was surprised. Like, it's really popular in places in, like, Japan. Yeah. There's a yearly article in, like, South Africa. Um, And, like, one of the things that I wanted to do was even hone in on that. And so we've been collecting a whole bunch of different works and, like, researching them of how they've been done differently. And one of the ones that have really interested me was a show from 2019 uh, directed by Kenny Leon was Much Ado About Nothing. Uh Uh, It was an entirely all-black cast, um, and they used it. To because it, much ado starts with all of these people returning from this unknown war, um, and the war is always throughout the different variations of much ado. Been you know maybe if it's set in like 1918, it could be returning home from World War One. Right, it, it could vary, but they set this in 20, it, essentially in 2020. So it was a year later from when it was uh, produced, mm-hmm. um, and it was a war so, sort of like marching for peace and for rights um it, it being like an all-black cast they had things like stacy abrams 2020 yeah and uh as well as sort of modernizing it um incorporating their own kind of music and kind of ditching completely the english accents that i think most people would associate with shakespeare mm-hmm. and just fitting in to sort of this sort of middle class uh uh, all-black uh, community that you would f- see in, like, Atlanta. Yeah. And it was really, really great to see. Like, the performances were incredible. Uh, I found it online. I don't know if it still is up online because I've had some difficulty finding it on the website I used originally. Mm-hmm. But high recommendation. It is such a beautifully done show. That's great. What would I look up to find this again? You would look up Much Ado About Nothing, uh, directed by Kenny Leon. By Kenny Leon. Yes. Awesome. Uh, high, high recommendations. And even if, like, because I think it was on PBS for a while. Mm-hmm. And then they recently took it off. Which I don't know why. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but there's at least clips for sure and different interviews on YouTube. So even if you can't find that, absolutely watch those. It's really a great site to see. I definitely will. And yeah, that makes me curious to think for your open resource book that you were talking about introducing into schools and stuff to mm-hmm. get students more engaged in the Shakespeare, do you think it would be good to include modernized versions? of his performances, like the one you were just mentioning? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, some modern versions were even, like, the famous stagings and adaptations segment for each of the five plays that we did. Mm-hmm. We included some of the more modern ones, like, to name an example, Macbeth, the Scottish play, um, or as I like to call it when I'm in a theater, McNuggets, uh, <laughs> to avoid the curse. Uh uh, but, like, we did the movie version, like, The Tragedy of Macbeth, which came out not too long ago. I think it was, like, two or three years ago. Really? Um, yeah. And, like, it was an entirely black and white movie, and it was, like, incredible. Wait, it came out two or three years ago? It was in black and white? Yeah. Like, they had this entire filter on it. Oh, um, and it's that's on, cool. It's on, like, what, Apple TV, I think? Okay. Wait, wait. Did, did it still have – you know how older movies still have that, like – fuzzy looking ish feeling did it still have that or was it like more still like it, it modern was, but black and white it was like modern 
but like it the like the black and white like it was black and white with like more modern effects. Okay. I I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Denzel Washington who played Macbeth. Oh, no, I have to check this yeah, out. Yeah, it's really I have great. To check that I'm like out. 99% I, I haven't seen that in like a year, but I'm pretty sure that's who I played loved, him. I loved I love Denzel and Washington. He was fantastic in. Yeah. Um and like even just in terms of other modern things, one sort of uh funny thing that we did was uh for Kent, both here and in the Trumbull campus, uh, Kent had that year done Much Ado About Nothing, mm-hmm. and the Trumbull campus had had Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So we decided to include them. Obviously, they aren't quite as, like, f- these famous stagings, but we thought, you know, relatability for, like, what's going on at the college level. Right. Since the, these, this book is being written for high school and collegiate classes. Mm-hmm. And... One of the things also that I think is neat about Shakespeare on that note is that uh, because obviously a lot of people will think that Shakespeare is this set in stone way of how you have to do it. Right. Um, But what I think a lot of people don't realize about Shakespeare and kind of the benefit of the fact that he's 400 years old plus (laughs) is that he's very malleable. Like you can change a lot of things to help, you know, bolster support for different groups without changing, like, the core of the story. Right. And, like, the example I'll use with Much Ado, what we did here at Kent State last spring, Uh the play ends, spoiler alert for a 400-year play, um, (laughs) is that it essentially ends that there's these two characters, Claudio and Hero. In the original story, Claudio thought Hero was cheating on him based on the lies of a person who was known as a liar. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, essentially Hero fakes, ends up faking her death to like guilt him and show him like how terrible of a person he was, which he was a terrible person, yeah. and they end up getting back together and remarried. This time, we change the story so that Hero walks away from him and to show that, no, you don't get to say, oh, I'm sorry and all is forgiven. Like, you slandered me publicly. And we changed the setting of it, too, to sort of like, I don't know if you've seen Gossip Girl. Yeah, I've seen Gossip Girl. It it was basically (laughs) Gossip Girl setting that Upper East Uh Manhattan, New York. But it was really, really interesting because I don't think there's a single person who went, that's not much ado about nothing. That absolutely was. But it told a different, like, segment of the story for a different character to give up, you know, and say, you know, we that this isn't something that is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Shakespeare is someone who can change with the times and change to tell the story you want to tell for different people. Yeah. And you can do it because there's not really a wrong way to do Shakespeare. Right. You might, you might see a production of Shakespeare and think that was a bad production, uh-huh. but it might, it's not a wrong way to do it. Yeah. And, and I, I, there's really not like a wrong way to play the character. Right. Exactly. And I think that's a big beauty of about Shakespeare that mm-hmm. not a pe- lot of people realize because they're so stuck on, like, the classic original, like, knights of old type of thing. And yeah. it doesn't always have to be that. Mm-hmm. When when you first brought up to me Shakespeare, that's the, the Shakespeare that I had in my mind. And, you know, that was the Shakespeare that was taught to me, I think, in school as well, too. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was, so, it was so broad, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I didn't realize there were so many variations of it. It's really made me interested in it mm-hmm. and I think it's too now that you're expanding your research to see 
um, all the different kinds of the, how it's been modified by different groups of people, mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's really going to take off. I think a lot of people are going to be like, wow, this is interesting. This is, mm-hmm. this is, this is more relatable to a lot yeah. of people. And that's exactly the hope is we want to show that like – and another one we're doing is like we're researching into like an entirely indigenous people's cast of Othello. Yeah. And like – what's, what's Othello? Uh, Othello I'm is – not familiar with that. <laughs> Othello is – we don't cover – that's one of the ones we didn't cover but we're referencing for that particular reason. Othello is the story of a black man who mm-hmm. essentially is rising through the ranks and another like a servant of his essentially like – not servant. It's more like – under him military-wise, right. um, named Iago, who essentially gets jealous because Othello has the beautiful girl, has this great position, and, like, is a genuinely good man. And Iago's like, I'm jealous of you. I'm And, like, he essentially is a saboteur to Othello. He makes him doubt his wife Desdona's love for him. He basically isolates him from everybody, and it just ends in tragedy. Yeah. It's the tragedy of Othello. But... Again, it's this unique take of like that, um, and we're still doing some research into this one, and right, I'm right. trying to set up an interview with the director who did it. Really? Mm-hmm. How is that going to be hard to contact him? Um, I mean, she's actually got uh, her email that oh. was connected to it, so I'm going to be sending her an email and be like, "Hey, <laughs> fingers crossed, uh, hope for the best." <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, as I was reading on it, it was just you know this idea of like the invasion of like land and like this idea of you know colonialization as I understood it and Mm -hmm. like expanding on that with this cast and it was really really interesting to read and I think again that's the hope is to showing that it isn't just this rigid set in stone thing that Shakespeare can be relatable and accessible to anybody because the important thing about Shakespeare isn't necessarily all the time of who is doing what but the core values the core humanity that Shakespeare shows Mm -hmm. that no matter who you are like you can feel things of greed of love of pride and honor and comedy and tragedy smiles and tears that these core human values the things that make us human are felt and done by everybody wow and that's what's so beautiful about this kind of work, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, so, it's so beautiful about it. And that's probably why it's been so popular for 400 years, oh, you yeah. know? And why it's going to be so popular years and years in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you said you said earlier that you're actually working on your own play? Yes. So one of the things that you have to do as a senior uh-huh. is what's known as a capstone project. Right. Now, someone then later asked me, why didn't you just make this as your capstone project? And boy, would I have thought of that sooner. But I'm glad you're doing your own thing. No, it was really cool because so A Midsummer Night's Dream is probably my favorite Shakespeare mm-hmm. play. But I always thought I that, thought you liked King Lear. <laughs> I like King Lear too. I like a lot of them. But I have a very certain fondness for A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay, why's that? It was actually the first Shakespeare play I ever performed in, uh, where I was the character of Nick Bottom, who is this comical, lovable idiot. Uh huh. In, like, every possible regard. He gets turned into... He's the famous character that gets his head turned into a donkey. And, like, gets swept up in this (laughs) this whole commotion with fairies. Yeah. And it's like, what is happening to this guy? And he's just taking it in stride. (laughs) And he was so much fun to play and Mm -hmm. just so much fun to be. And I fell in love with the story. But I always felt... Because Midsummer Night's Dream is interesting because it's essentially four stories in one. 
because you have the main story of essentially these four lovers who are these teenagers who are in love. There's like Hermia, Lysander, Helena, and Demetrius. Yeah. Hermia and Lysander are in love. Demetrius is in love with Hermia, and Helena, Hermia's best friend, is in love with Demetrius. That sounds like some drama. Oh, it gets better <laughs> because there's this guy, Aegeus, who's Hermia's dad. Uh-huh. He does not like Lysander and wants Hermia to marry Demetrius. Really? So he basically goes to Theseus, the duke, uh, and who is another story of him and Hippolyta getting married at this time, and goes, hey, uh, the law says that I can tell my daughter who to marry or she can die, so can you invoke that? And Theseus is like, uh, okay, I guess. And he's like, I mean, Hermia, you either marry Demetrius, you become a nun, or you've got to die. I'm sorry. That's the law. I don't make the law rules. I just enforce them. Yeah. So Hermia and Lysander run off. Mm-hmm. Helena, they tell Helena, and Helena's like, I know Hermia's my best friend, but I like Demetrius. So if I tell him, maybe that'll get me favor with yeah. him. She really sells out her best friend for some guy she's got a crush on. <laughs> So she tells Demetrius, and he runs off after them, and she runs off after him. Uh-huh. Those are the first two main stories. The third story involves these fairies, which is Oberon, the king of the fairies, and Titania, the queen of the fairies. Yeah. They are fighting over this changeling boy. Titania saying, What's hey. A changeling boy? It's sort of like this mythical uh, fairy type that basically, way, way back in history, a changeling boy would be someone that fairies would come and sneak into someone's house of like a newborn child and swap the babies like so if someone was just newly born they would take the child and place it with essentially a fake one uh-huh. that was like this weird fairy boy yeah kind of like a stork in a way uh, it's but... actually not too far off in that way and it <laughs> yeah. was this very like kind of terrifying horrifying thing because i think when you think fairies nowadays you think of like tinkerbell from disney right, right. Fairies, way back when, were these terrifying, horrifying creatures that really? you did not mess. Yeah, you really? did not mess with fairies. Huh? And even in cultures that's still today, of you do not mess with the fae right. in any regard. I think it's very common in Ireland. I believe I might be wrong about no, that. No, no, no. You're right. Yeah. Um, but like, it's very much a case of if you offend a fairy, you are going to regret it, mm-hmm. and if you walk away, you will be lucky. Yeah. Do, um, do, are they are they regarded as like still like real entities in a lot of cultures? In so, a lot of cultures, yeah, they are still regarded as real. That like there is uh, a, re- a lot of respect for the fae and belief in them. Yeah, that's cool. Um, it's died down significantly since then, but they still have a very active presence in a lot of cultures. Right. But basically, they're fighting because Tatani has taken this changeling boy mm-hmm. and essentially sees him as like this child that like of her own that she uh, got from this mother who died that she was friends with right and Oberon is like well no I want the changeling boy because I want another servant so they're fighting over like this boy Uh and so they're like not on speaking terms and basically the fourth story is what's known as the rude mechanicals which is this acting troupe and because it's Theseus and Hippolytus wedding they are hosting, like, these different events that could be done uh, in honor of their celebration. And yeah. these actors are like, we should do a play. And they're trying to rehearse this play called Pyramus and Thisbe, which is a heavily uh, – was a heavy inspiration for Romeo and Juliet. And the main character, Pyramus, is played by Bottom, mm-hmm. who is a complete egotistical, like – 
Like, if you were to think... Dramatic posing, acting, huzzah! That's bottom. That's bottom entirely. Uh -huh. He is the man who uses big words to make himself sound photosynthesis. Interesting. Like, <laughs> but essentially, at some point or other, all four of these stories end up intertwining and connecting. Yeah. And I just thought it was really interesting to see how they do. But I always felt that the lovers, the lovers probably get the biggest, maybe next to the fairies, mm -hmm. of like the two biggest. And I always felt that the mechanicals were not utilized to a point that they could have been. Yeah. Like, Bottom gets utilized quite a bit. There's a little bit of characterization for two other characters named Peter Quince and uh, Flute. But, like, there's six of them, and there's not a whole bunch done with them except for the final bit where they do the play. Mm -hmm. And it's terrible, but it's funny. So I ended up writing this story for my capstone because most people for their capstone in the theater department will do things like they'll help with a main stage show. They'll yeah. do their own student-run black box show. What's a black box show? Uh, so there's a black box show is a specific kind of show where it's uh, usually a smaller or more experimental kind of show mm -hmm. in what's known as a black box theater, which is, uh, hence the name, just a giant black box. And Interesting. It, it's really helpful for uh, people who are very, like, minimal in the things they want or they need. Yeah. It, and, and we actually have one in Kent, which is where currently right now they're rehearsing for a collection of student plays that will, I think, be performed in April. I don't remember the exact dates. Interesting. But, you know, that's something that's commonly done. But I was like, you know, I have this idea for a story as a follow-up that expands more on the mechanicals. Yeah. So I wanted to do that. The basic outline of it is that it's really following the fairies and the mechanicals. Uh, so the mechanicals get called into thesis. This is like the day after they present their play, and it, and it sure happens. Uh -huh. And Theseus comes up, and he's like, hey, look. So you guys did the play, and that's great. But you're kind of being ridiculed throughout all of Athens because you were so bad at it. And we feel bad because we asked you to do this. Yeah. So we're going to give you two weeks to create a whole new play and perform it for us. And then hopefully you can essentially redeem yourself so Athens doesn't look at you like a bunch of nincompoops yeah. who are incapable of anything. So, so, so your play, the, the thing you're writing, it's a, like a play within a play. In a, in a sense? Sort of. So, like, it's it's a direct sequel. It immediately follows the very end of another play. It's ironically titled A Midsummer Day's Awakening. Yeah. But there will be a play within that play because the very end, the, uh, the second to last scene is them performing another play. Oh. So it will be a play within a play. That's going to be interesting. Thank you. Uh -huh. But uh, basically, Bottom, through his shenanigans, convinces Theseus that we don't need two weeks. We can do it in two days. Yeah. So... Theseus is like, all right, you can do that. Have fun. And obviously the rest of the mechanicals are like, really? But they head off to go write their own show. Uh -huh. Meanwhile, the fairies, the way, spoiler alert again for another 400-year play, <laughs> Midsummer Night's Dream, the biggest thing with the fairies is Oberon, to get the child, mm -hmm. uh, convinces his servant Puck to get the this magical like love liquid and yeah. like pours it into Titania's sleeping eye so that she falls in love with the first thing she sees, which is, in the show, Nick Bottom as a donkey. Mm -hmm. And while she's infatuated with him, he takes the baby. Now, at the end of the show, he removes the potion and they get back together. But I always remembered, I always wondered, so what happened when she found out that he took the baby? So what this starts off is she has just found out and she is livid. Mm -hmm. 
and she's basically on the verge of declaring war on him because they have their own separate servants and followers. Yeah. So Oberon's like, okay, uh, this is bad. Puck, you take the baby, go hide it, and I'm going to try and not cause a war within the fairy uh, community, essentially. And so Puck goes out to this hidden grove that's close enough to human civilizations that fairies won't approach it, uh-huh. but far enough away from the out in the outskirts of the city that no for no reason would any human be out here. Right. So enter the mechanicals who come out here uh, because they're rehearsing this new play that Peter Quince has written, known as the Tragedy of Oedipus Rex. Tragedy of Oedipus Rex. <laughs> Which is literally a basic ripoff of the actual Oedipus Rex story. Uh-huh. And as they're rehearsing, there is a scene where they, it calls for a baby. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we can't play baby. We're all too old. So Quince is like, you know what? We can just wrap up some rocks and sticks in a scarf, and that'll do. We're on a budget. Bottom go into the woods and get some rocks and sticks. Mm-hmm. Bottom goes into the woods and finds the baby. Now, any normal person in this instance would probably go to, like, the authorities and be like, hey, uh, we found this child in the woods by himself. Yeah. And Bottom goes, wait, 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 guys. Our play needs a baby. <laughs> and we've got a baby right here. <laughs> when an opportunity presents itself, <laughs> when the you got to take it. the opportunity presents. So Bottom's logic to convince them is, listen, we're going to perform this in front of Athens anyway. Mm-hmm. The parents are probably in Athens. We'll just perform it from the baby and find the parents that way. And yeah. they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And Puck comes back and realizes, oh, God, I've made a terrible mistake. So the hilarity of the rest of the play is Oberon and Titania sort of butting heads while both trying to get the baby back from the mechanicals Mm -hmm. while the mechanicals are trying to rehearse and perform this play. Yeah. So that's the hilarity of it. That's interesting. That's going to be really cool. Thank you. So everything you just explained, that's kind of like your own idea off of Mm – that's that's incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah, you literally just – like, have the whole script, like, in your mind. <laughs> yeah, and it's all written. We actually, I hosted with a couple close friends uh, a read-through of it, and they really liked it. Yeah. Um, and I was glad because I was like, well, you don't hate it. That's a win. <laughs> no, I think that was, like, really incredible, honestly. <laughs> so you're going to, you're are you getting a cast together to perform this? So performing it's a little tricky. Okay. Um, right now what I'm doing is... I'm getting everything copyright like as we speak. Like the copyright process is already underway. So so it's kind of like legally yours. Yes. Okay. And the idea is that I'm going to publish it on a site called New Play Exchange. Yeah. Which is a big site for like up and coming new plays, things to find for like monologues or scenes. Yeah. And I'm going to send it out to a bunch of different places and be like, hey, are you interested in doing something new that Shakespeare but not? Well, awesome. have I got something for you? Yeah. But like this has been just, like, such a big project that I would love to see it get produced at some kind of level. I think there would be a lot of people actually here interested in doing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. There's even – I had an idea of possibly – because they've already selected the main stage shows for next year. Yeah. But the year after being, like – because they do a Shakespeare-esque show on the regular, like, mm-hmm. every other year or so. And me going, hey – you interested? Because Kent State has done alumni shows before. We right. recently did, uh, what was it? It was a show called Chaining Zero, which I think uh, won some kind of award or something. Uh-huh. That was an entirely alumni show, so fingers crossed there. Fingers crossed. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, and definitely, I think, too, in, in, when you're trying to get people to um, take interest in the play, also, like, 
pre- present it present it vocally you know what mm-hmm. i mean because like that's an ability that you have i think a lot of other people behind the scenes don't thank that you. can really give you the competitive advantage you know thank you so much you re- do a seriously good job at getting people interested getting people engaged getting people excited about your ideas thank you yeah and i have to try it shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you do a great job at it you thank know i you. think it matters how good your ideas are mm-hmm. but what matters more is how you communicate those ideas right it's same thing like within sales you could be selling shower curtain rings as earrings mm-hmm. and if you can convince people that this is the next big thing then people will buy them oh absolutely yeah uh, but you could have say these these beautiful diamond earrings if you don't know how to communicate um why you should wear if you can't sell them properly then mm-hmm. no one's going to buy them. People would rather buy the shower curtain rings. Right, exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, you have the phenomenal communication and sales skills to commu- communicate a phenomenal product as well. So, like, those two golds, those two, like, gold settings, it, that's going to take you, you know? Thank you so much. I, yeah. Hey, I hope so. That's great. So, I know um, you were talking a little bit, uh, you know, capitalizing on like your communication skills and everything Mm -hmm. um you said that for the three minute thesis you you actually you memorized it yeah and you you didn't use use note cards as well i memorized mine as well Mm -hmm. and but when i went into the the di hub Mm -hmm. they had where you go in and the people at LaunchNet would help you write your three minute thesis or help with presenting the three minute thesis they told me they said don't memorize it they said don't really? they said don't memorize it and then um someone else told me too that I think it was my um one of my my mentor um my my mentor for the sure program she told me that yeah my mentor Dr. Amy Ward for the sure program she told me that when she was watching someone uh present their their research this was back when I think when she was getting her PhD mm-hmm. she hopped up on stage not not doctor, not my professor, but mm-hmm. one of the people like in her class or something. Right. Hopped up on stage and just completely blanked mm-hmm. and then said she memorized it. But it's just that when she got up there in front of all those people, she just completely blanked mm-hmm. and forgot all about it. And thankfully we didn't do that. <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> yeah. But I thought the, the people at the DI Hub at LaunchNet, they said to take bullet points, like bullet point – the major topics of what you're talking about. And then as long as you know your concept well enough, just like elaborate on those. Mm-hmm. But I like memorizing it better. Oh, I, I do too. I personally like, you feel more prepared. Mm-hmm. It gets rid of uh, ums and likes and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. I, I And it's three minutes, you know what I mean? If you rehearse mm-hmm. it, you're confident enough within yourself, then why not just memorize it? You you're going to be mean? fine. Yeah. I guess I, I going off of that story, which is like, you know, don't memorize it in case you end up blanking. Mm-hmm. But like you said perfectly, like that preparation. And I think it might even just be a factor of, you know, it goes different from you rehearsing in your room to suddenly seeing so many people watching you specifically do right. it that like the nerves will get to you there. But like just taking that preparation, being able to remain calm, I think – Really, even if like you have just a note card to like get up that bullet point, like if you've got everything memorized and timed out, and that's another thing I'm sure you would agree of why I like to memorize is that you've got things timed out, so you aren't accidentally going over. Yes, yeah, that's a, that's another big thing too. They'll show they'll show like a 
a yellow card mm-hmm. when you have a minute left, yeah. and then they'll show a red card like when you have 10 seconds left. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. One mistake that I did make during my three-minute thesis was when I practiced, I could not set a solid rhythm on the words per minute I was speaking. Mm-hmm. There would be occasionally times where I would record myself and I would go above three minutes, and there would be times where I'd go below three minutes. Mm-hmm. And... When I was presenting in the three-minute thesis competition, I said everything accurately, but I ran out of things to say when they showed the red card, 10 seconds left to go, and I had to make something up on the spot. <laughs> that would, that was, would be my one mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, I think memorize it enough where memor- mem- you can still memorize your script, but be prepared to improvise. Oh, yeah. Because there are mistakes that could happen, and you want to be able to stay on your toes and um, be prepared in case something like that happens. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also just a case of memorizing the things that are most important, something like an opener, something like a closer, Mm -hmm. specific sentences or points you want to make. Yeah. Like the thing that I had said as an opening was like, to be or not to be. Does anyone really know what that means? Immediately, like, snagging it and then just ending it with, uh, I don't even remember now what my final thing was, but I just remember making this important sentence to just end it on. Is that that important start, that important end, and memorizing what it is you need and want to talk about, and then just pacing yourself from there. I probably rehearsed it dozens of times to try and just get the timing down. Because, like you said, I kept either being really under or really over a lot and it was like please you can't find that middle ground you know what i mean (laughs) right (laughs) yeah so you'd so to get it right on the dot that's what you would say is just to keep rehearsing and rehearsing yeah just keep on rehearsing like and i i do have a bit of a benefit being a theater major right that i do (laughs) i i'm used to this Mm -hmm. this is the kind of thing that i want to pursue further in my actual career right so me not being good at it would be slightly concerning (laughs) But even just for anybody wanting to do something like that is that memorize it to a point where comfortable. And I think that's the biggest thing is just be comfortable is a lot of people I feel go up there thinking that people are going to judge you. And yeah. like, you know, maybe there's some, one or two people who are judging you. but mm-hmm. Well, they are they, judges. They are judges. <laughs> <laughs> but – and maybe, like, someone who's got nothing better to do and is really upset with their life and they're like, I'm going to judge. It's like, okay. Yeah. But, like, for the most part, people are there to actively support you and see right. what you've been working on. And just having that knowledge of knowing that these people are – it's not you versus them. Mm-hmm. They are on your side. Right. Is that that comfort of, like, you're talking with a friend. Yeah, exactly. I, lo- I love sitting through that kind of – I love going to conferences and stuff, and I like going to presentations where I'm not even competing. I'm just sitting there. I just like hanging out and listening to everyone's ideas ideas you know mm-hmm. that's exactly what it is that's exactly why i like the podcast right i just like hanging out listening to intelligent creative people and hearing all the new ideas and getting mm-hmm. inspired from what people have to say and like some of the people that you've had on your podcast are absolutely incredible oh yeah man the, the guests that i've had my podcast conversations have been some of the most insightful conversations that i have had well in college mm-hmm. sitting here in this studio with not no no phone computer anything just two people talking with a microphone in our face you know mm-hmm. but it's been some of the most insightful and 
I've learned I've learned so much. I've learned so much mm-hmm. from having people like yourself on. Thank here. you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been listening to the other episodes, and some stuff I would have never even dreamed of, and some stuff like I'm not even comprehending this beforehand, but now I'm like getting it, and it's great. Yeah. And like you said, just having this platform that you know, the more knowledge you can expand to like just other people, like the more it just grows and more connections you make and mm-hmm. the more you can just understand just that little bit more about the world that yeah. really just expanding your own knowledge as well is like such a beautiful thing. Right. It is. It is. And, you know, I want people to get more. I want incoming students to get more interested in research because mm-hmm. the people that come on the show, they do a very good idea of communicating their work and not making it intimidating, bringing it to a level where people can understand. Mm-hmm. And then incoming stu- students, and then they share what they've learned from it, and they shared wh- how they've improved from the research experience itself. Mm-hmm. And then incoming students can listen to this. They'll get excited, and they'll be like, look at all this, look at everything that this person's accomplished. I'm sure there's been people who have heard your episodes is going to hear this one too. And they're going to be, look at everything that Xavier's accomplished. Look at this Thank play he's writing. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine doing something like that, but like now I know it's possible. Mm-hmm. And this, this guy's a role model to me. And that encourages them to start something of their own mm-hmm. and to hopefully get involved in the research process or some creative endeavor, some independent endeavor. Mm-hmm. And it, it really, it's, inspires people it inspires inspires me inspires other guests it inspires um the our, our whole audience you know mm-hmm. and i think also like the reason i like if people are going to ask me it's like so xavier which did you like more college or high school i'll say college every time because apart from the fact that i've made so many amazing friends in college mm-hmm. college gives you so much more freedom to just experiment with what you love like you're not stuck doing core classes I mean you have to do core classes yeah. in college too but you get those out of the way and you're fine Right. but like in high school it's like this set rigid structure and in college you have so much more freedom and I've seen a lot of people that just think they've just got to keep going through it but like college has so many ways to just branch out and do something you either would have never thought of yeah. or that like you just can uh, expand into an area that you just genuinely enjoy mm-hmm. and even you don't even necessarily need college for that just get the chance to meet new people and try doing new things yeah like i would if if i didn't meet dr k i don't think or paul hurley paul is another professor here at kent who's been helping me extensively with my play mm-hmm. if i hadn't met either of them i don't know if i would have been able to do the things that i've been able to accomplish so far exactly um so it's really those connections and just branching yourself out and not being afraid to break some sort of structure because there is no more structure after high school. Life is whatever you choose to make it. It is. And it can be whatever you make it as long as you surround yourself with it, with supportive people. Right. Exactly. Supportive, positive people. Mm-hmm. And that's why I really like doing this. Mm-hmm. I get to surround myself with people like that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's great. If you had one more piece of advice for anyone, what would it be? Even in times when you feel that the world is against you and that time isn't on your side or a million X, Y, Z, it never hurts to try. And it's always worth trying Mm -hmm. because no matter what idea it is you have, maybe you want to be a rock star, maybe you want to be the greatest professor ever known, maybe you want to be X, Y, or Z, that... It is better to give it your best shot, try it, 
and if it fails, you can say, at least I tried. Like, I would rather, I would rather go out trying to do my dream and failing yeah. miserably, like, in the ground, done, mm-hmm. than living my life always asking, what if I had made it? And that's a big reason why I'm a, a theater performer, is that I genuinely enjoy making people smile. It's something that I've always loved doing. I do it with performing. Why, When I did the Shakespeare project, I want to make it more accessible to people so they can enjoy it with my play, that it's a comedy that people can laugh at, uh, that I've always enjoyed that and why I want to go as far as I can with it. And I mean, I have a pre-law and philosophy double minor, so, you know, if it fails miserably, <laughs> I could probably work as a clerk somewhere. Right, you got your backup plan. But I can definitely say that I am going out, that I'm going to live my life without any regrets. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the best way is that no matter what you have, if there's even a f- minuscule fraction of a chance that you can do it, go for it. Yeah. That was beautiful. And you do a fantastic job of what you just described. Thank you. You made me smile today. Let's go! <laughs> so, you know, that's that's a win. That's a win. That is always a win. <laughs> and always a win for me having you on the show. Always Thank a win you. for for everyone having you on the show. Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're really inspiring a lot of people, and you're doing fantastic work. Thank so you. please keep it up and continuing to make yes. people smile every I, single day. Thank you. And I love being on the show. This show is great. You keep it up. I love listening to these episodes. <laughs> They're fantastic. Thank you. I love having them. I love having them. Like I said, I've learned so much. Not sponsored, but watch more of the Research Review. Yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> sponsored, but sponsored. <laughs> research Review is sponsored by the Research Review. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> A little paradox. <laughs> well, Again, Xavier, it's been awesome having you on this show. You're welcome back any single time. Let me just shoot me a text. Thank you so much. We can much. literally have a whole series with you. Like You were just like packed with knowledge. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Again, this is your host, John, of the Research Review, creating a platform to inspire. Peace out.